after an introduction, we come on to the iatrogenic deaths. So this is the start of it, where we see this unprecedented spike in all of mortality uh, in Britain, the year, where suddenly uh, in, in April, uh, all cause mortality shoots up to 100%, and that coincides with the announcement that there's a deadly virus going around. So certainly I'd be convinced that that's what was doing it. What else would be? It seems to be you know, too much of a coincidence to be uh, a coincidence. So you see it again across Europe, a variety of European countries, all of excess mortality at the same time uh, should lead to virus. However, some doctors dissent and say some of this doesn't entirely make sense, um, so some of the discrepancies don't make sense. So here we have Spain and Portugal, where Spain goes what's about 160% excess there, and Portugal's down 20. And there were some doctors, like Pascal Coline, particularly wrote articles early on saying, no, that's not the way viruses work. They don't, they don't stop international boundaries like that. Same thing is visible, just as for example, Italy and Slovenia next to each other. Slovenia is next to the bottom north of Italy where all the, the dying was going on. Um, so when Italy goes at 80%, and actually that's deceptive because I could easily contrast Italy with Italy here, and the south of Italy uh, didn't really have anything like Kelly, it was all in the Lombardy region, which had over 1,000% at one point. Slovenia is just 9%. So that's kind of questionable. Okay, could be the way virus move, uh, who knows. But you also have a discrepancy, not just in geography, but in time. Where you see here, this is um, all cause mortality for Europe. And what you see with the spikes here, they rise up in uh, December, January each year. And then, just as you get over the December, January spike in 2020, you have this massive out of season spike in April. That red line is the line where the World Health Organization declared a pandemic. This is the same thing in the United States. You see no excess at all going along right towards April, and then boom. So is that temporally consistent with scientific reports coming out saying COVID being circulating around in February, back further into 2019, and back maybe as far as September? And yet it's not killing anybody. There's no excess mortality in any of these countries in February, and then it spikes. So what you're probably seeing here is a reaction to the announcement of the pandemic. This is, um, this is the start of the lockdown. So this is excess mortality across five European countries, and the vertical bars are where those countries went into lockdown. So what you can see is Italy, the excess mortality started earlier than other European countries, and had its lockdown earlier. And then Belgium, France, and Spain were all about the same. Spain's slightly ahead, and it's where its excess mortality is slightly ahead. And then the UK is later into lockdown, and its excess mortality is late. Now, it could be a coincidence, it could be that it's based on, they went to lockdown based on uh, test numbers of cases, so it all makes sense. But it would also be what you'd expect to see if the lockdowns are killing people. And by that, I don't mean being asked to stay in a house for a couple of weeks is, is going to be, uh, I mean, it's changes going on in the medical system. So this is what Amnesty International wrote a report about. It's never a good sign when Amnesty International writes a report about your country. Um, but they wrote one about the UK and treatment of the elderly in October of 2020. And what they found was, at this point, where the green vertical line is, uh, the British government, uh, the NHS, stopped all people coming to hospitals. They evicted 25,000 of them back into care homes. That might have spread whatever they had there, and they started denying the elderly medical care. They started, doctors refused to go to uh, care homes. Uh, they were, the use of end of life pathways was greatly enhanced. The use of dangerous drugs was greatly enhanced. Care home staff uh, were reduced in number because they'd have, uh, they'd have to stay off work if they had a positive PCR test. Uh, at the same time, no family members can go in, and uh, the 
supervision going into the Outer Cloud. So all of this would definitely create excess mortality. If you deny healthcare to the elderly and kick them out of the hospitals and put them into white pathways, that's going to cause a spike. Uh, like you see that right now. Uh, it could be that in addition to that, there's a deadly virus going around. Um, maybe. So you see this pattern then across Europe, uh, where Spain and uh, Deathstalks, French Nursing Home, Elvin, the Imperial Granny, the Canadians really fucked what was going on, some of them did. And uh, New York with Pentalizers and Nick Genesis there uh, being a major cause of the excess mortality there. And uh, then this is from a site called Open Prescribing, where you can see the drugs levels being prescribed uh, at any time in the UK. So this is for a sensitive drug called Midazolam. Then if you saw Jackie Du Bois' documentary, it was about the extra use of Midazolam, uh, the people observed, anecdotally observed, their loved ones being put on Midazolam uh, during the pandemic. And what you see, the top graph is excess food mortality for the UK. So you see that spike in the middle corresponds with the spike in Midazolam prescriptions. Now, again, you could say well, more people were dying and therefore um, more Midazolam is being handed out. Makes sense. Except that the um, these are the initial guidelines that came out of COVID, and they talk about uh, Midazolam as a respiratory depressant, and they talk about um, sedation and opioid use should not be withheld because of fear of causing respiratory depression. So you had at that time um, a group of doctors writing into the BMG, Dark British Medical Journal, um, saying uh, this is very dangerous, you know, it's like to kill people, it's hard to hand out these protocols. So it really did happen. Um, and then going into the wintertime, when you have that second spike visible, the, the smaller spike uh, down there, um, the top graph is antibiotic use. So you see a spike in antibiotic use in the UK every December, January, obviously, for bacterial pneumonas and so on. And then that valley there, there is no spike in it. So all the antibiotic use falls away, and what you get is a spike in excess mortality. So are those things correlated? Well, you know, I don't know, but I know if you change the system in all sorts of ways, you know, I'm assuming that they don't have antibiotics like just for fun, okay? And these things can have impact, especially given, oh, this is the United States, again, you see a similar pattern that antibiotic use just collapses during 2020 and 2021. And um, somebody called Anthony Fauci wrote a paper back in 2008 on how viral pneumonia is often accompanied by uh, secondary bacterial infections, and he thought that's what killed most of the people during the Spanish flu when they autopsied bodies from that time, they found the lungs were full of bacteria. So it's just interesting to know that there was <laughs> not only is science, not only is the science on this, but it's produced by uh, Dr. Fauci himself. Okay, so that's the chapter on the antigenics gone through. So then on to the face masks section, I'll just do this very quickly, because uh, it's good to have time to talk. But well, this is the World Health Organization document from 2019, where, where they, they talk about face masks having a mechanistic plausibility, but there being no evidence for them. And then face masks went through this, that was everyone's starting position, Fauci, everyone, at the start of the pandemic. And then they just got better and better and better as the ones went by, just you know, protected from all sorts. Uh, probably peaking with the Bangladeshi study, if anyone's heard of that, that was the randomized control study which demonstrated the efficacy of face masks. So I talk about that, sort of point where it's, it's criticizable. I move on to the um, the Gotham review, which is the meta study, um, which found no efficacy, no sign of efficacy for face masks. So you could say, well, okay, we tried, it didn't if it didn't work, then it wasn't really matter spending money on face masks and it was a bit inconvenient. But there are downsides to these things. There's a meta study just being published looking at the negative physiological effects of face masking. This meta study concentrated particularly on oxygen deprivation. So you can have people that walk on treadmills and see how their breathing rate changes with or without the mask. Um, and that 
probably even more nefarious effects. So, so um, whilst there might be a mechanistic plausibility that putting masks in from your face could stop you inhaling more of a virus, but let's go with that. It's also, there's a mechanistic plausibility that putting a damp and dirty rag in front of your face will be a breeding ground for bacteria. So um, this is just a concerned parents in Florida who sent um, their children's masks in to laboratories that have analyzed. And there is like science going on, so there's more extensive science about the, the growth of bacteria on masks. And um, also something called the Fogan effect. This is a doctor who, just uh, study of Kansas, in the United States, city counties, looking at counties that didn't, didn't have compulsory masking, and found all cause mortality in non masking counties to be lower than masking counties. And his, his concept he developed was the idea that you will exhale the virus when you get it, but rather than it going out, it's tapping the mask and you're rehaling it, reinhaling it then in a more potent form. So and there's two things there. There's the, the one thing is the excess mortality, which is interesting in itself, and then there's his explanation of that. But again, it's mechanistically plausible that whilst these things might be stopping things coming to your body, they could be stopping things getting out of your body too. So masks to just have having a very different effect than what we maybe assume they do. So then we have the, the lockdown chapter. So like anyone who doesn't have rocks in their heads knows that lockdowns have just immensely awful effects. And the cancer bomb that's sticking and um, the, the starvation of the food. Well, if you stop producing food, so much if you stop dumping all the food that wants going to restaurants, that's obviously obviously going to push food prices up in the third world when people are malnourished already, and it's obviously going to increase starvation. You can just tell from day one. And uh, governments didn't know about this, of course. So the justification there, uh, the justification of this policy would have to be like, wow, massive, right? We'd have to save millions and millions of lives uh, through lockdowns and uh, that's justifiable. And indeed, predictions were that they, they did, right? This is sort of Culture studies came out in June of 2020, and uh, three and a half million lives across 11 European countries this predicted the lockdown saved based on modeling. Okay, the problem is it doesn't really comport to the real world. So, uh, this is a chart of US states uh, after the first wave of lockdowns, um, and this is just COVID deaths. Okay, it's not all ideally, I've heard it was awful to have people, but I've got to go with what and this is COVID deaths. So, if lockdowns were saving millions of lives, and if they were really worth doing, you would absolutely expect to see anywhere that didn't lock down would be like a horror story, okay? There'd just be corpses lying in the streets there and you would need there to be to justify doing it. But the red dots, the red dots on that chart are the states that um, that didn't lock down at the lowest level of restrictions. It's a bit of an amb ambiguous thing to judge in some ways. But um, what you see is that, well, there's only one of them in the top half. Okay, so, um, okay, okay, so here you see, um, Sweden, as compared to its Nordic neighbours. Now, if you compare Sweden to the rest of Europe at any point, it's not doing bad compared to Spain, Italy, Britain. But compared to its immediate neighbours, it does start off a lot worse and continues to be not as good through, um, through 2020. So people look, when this happened, of course, people looked at the, the first few months. So Sweden is a clear example of why you need to lock down. It's doing much worse than Norway, Finland, Denmark. Um, if you bring it forward in time, though, by the time you get to summer 2022, Sweden is Oh, I should just say, of course, this is, um, Sweden was also, like, if you look at that, that spike, uh, that's also the time when Sweden is handling out the Madazlan and refusing medical care to the army. So it would be reasonable to assume that Norway, Finland, and Denmark were not doing as much of that at that time. Um, but the time we get around to the summer of 2022, Sweden has equalised, and I think it's now co-equal with Norway um, in the lowest level of all-cause excess mortality during the pandemic period.
Sweden through 2020 have no excess mortality in the 175s where they were overwhelmingly care homes. So it's not clear how stopping young people going to cafes would have brought that down further. And this is the United States at the um, end of the pandemic, far more recent, I forget the end date, but far more recent. And um, the study done. Okay, so the, the difficulty in comparing lockdown states, and I found this fact to, uh, to my displeasure, is some states might have a stay at home order for a short period, but then be more economically liberal than a state that never had a stay at home order, but uh, shut businesses down for a long time. Or sometimes you have counties or cities and states that shut down, but the state government doesn't. So what the office of this study does was they, they looked at all over economic activity and controlled things like industries that were hit harder, like uh, tourism. And they, they developed an, an economic score, and then they compared that to a health score, which is really a proxy for all cause mortality. And what you can see there is there's no correlation. So you've got states like um, New York and New Jersey, who have a terrible health score, and also very low economy because they've locked down hard. And then you've got over in the far, uh, what's that, left, that's Utah up there, that has like very limited lockdowns, um, did well economically and had good health outcomes. So it's just a complete wash on any evidence that lockdowns save lives, they damaged economies, but they didn't necessarily save lives. And as I say, you would need a massive justification for doing them. Um, partly because if you spend vast amounts of wealth paying people not to produce wealth, then it's not there in the future. And this is what you do. So now, there could be a lot of reasons why excess mortality is high in the UK right now, but a part of it has to be that we just blew vast amounts of money and it's not there to fund uh, central services now. So you see this continued um, high excess now, which is not driven by COVID deaths, and even conventional thought things, that's that part of the, the overspend. Uh, okay. Right, it's back to the So that's the three of the five chapters I mentioned. And then there's a conclusion, uh, which I don't have a conclusion already, um, and this is, um, does anyone recognise what this is? Right, it's a poster from 1950s China, and this is called the Boar Pests Campaign, it's part of the Next time, I'm trying to get better. Um, I'm saying, you know, next time, 
it was all ivermectin instead of vaccination or whatever, I'd say that there's something fundamentally wrong with the hubris that tells a group of people they know how to control the lives of millions of people around them. 